The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Right, a very warm welcome to this Wednesday edition of Squawk Box. You've got Jeff Cartmore, you've got myself and some very exciting guests. And these are your headlines. So Wall Street breaks a four-day losing streak. I mean, mildly. The S&P was up 0.1 of a percent. But major U.S. indices still on track for their worst year since 2008, whilst the Japanese yen is at its strongest in over four months as the fallout from the BOJ's yield tweak continues. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is en route to Washington for his first known visit outside of his country since Russia's invasion, with President Biden set to host the leader at the White House. Shares in Nike surge over 12% in extended trade after the world's largest sportswear maker raises its outlook and easily beats expectations on both the top and the bottom line. And Elon Musk is actively searching for a new Twitter CEO, according to CNBC sources, while the billionaire says he will resign once he finds someone, quote, foolish enough to take the job on the back of his online poll. Right. I, I, I think yesterday was it was so illuminating in many ways, i.e. we had more housing market data, which was uh, quite dispiriting in some ways, as expected, I'm afraid. Housing starts down 0.5% in November, third monthly decline. But look, my, my headline, Jeff's headline was the markets come off their four day losing streak. Well, not really. I mean, look at that, 0.01%, 0 0.1%, 0 0.3% for the Dow as well. Have you heard the month to date stats? If you're long, it's not pretty reading. The Dow's down 5%, the S&P down 6.3%, the NASDAQ has lost another 8% so far in the month of December. Sectors, uh, energy was up 1.5%, consumer discretionaries was down 1.1%. Uh, 7 out of 11 sectors were in positive territory. Quick look at the treasuries for you, the yield on your 10 years picking up now, look, 3.7, give or take the change two-year pretty stable down at 4.25 lots more data today you've got mortgage applications you've got conference boards confidence data and existing home sales and do not forget of course there's uh, uh, very important data still to come this week another look at the gdp plus uh, pc data later uh, on this uh, holiday shortened week in many ways. Let's have a look at what's going on in uh, Japan and the Japanese market as well. Nikkei continuing to fall 180 points down. Uh, the dollar is continuing to lose ground versus the yen. 132, as I say, the low for the greenback of the last four months. On the back of, again, I keep seeing shock, um, stunned markets. Well, you're talking about a yield on the 10-year of 0.48 now, which, okay, it is the highest level. It is double the maximum that we'd seen previously. But according to Kuroda, look what Kuroda said yesterday. He's not saying this is part of a process. Now, I know Kuroda's off in April as well, but there are still more questions than answers about what's going to happen on Japanese rate policy. Uh, and I don't think any of us have got the answer on that just yet. Should we have a look at Asian indices ex Nikkei? So flat on the Hang Seng, mildly easier on the Shanghai Composite, 1.3% to the upside on the ASX 200, Nifty 50, down five tenths of 1%. European futures are 
higher across the board. I mean, again, very, very tough to be long a lot of these stocks at the moment. Um, we are seeing a very downbeat December, despite the fact that 73% uh, of the time the S&P rallies. Do you know what the good thing about this week is? And you and I, you know, finding right. it quite a long week in many ways, despite yes. the fact it's like we have an advent calendar of guests. Because, yes. you know, a lot of the old favourites mm. are turning up in the studio. Yes. So, so I'm just interested, after you've done the public borrowing figures, right. to see who's behind door number 21. Well, let's keep the suspense going for yeah, a little bit longer, that. shall we? Uh, so, UK November public sector net borrowing. These are UK uh, government borrowing numbers. 21.196 billion sterling. The October figure was 13.373 billion. Uh, it shows a sizable increase, obviously. Net borrowing ex-banks, 22.017 uh, um, uh, sterling. Vs, uh, the 14 uh, 194 that we saw for the previous period. 13 billion was the poll expectation. The uh, November public sector net cash requirement then 20 uh, spot 336 billion sterling. V's October's 9.997 billion sterling. So what's the long, what, what are, what's the so interesting the, part about that? The, the long and short of this is that um, the net uh, borrowing requirement is significantly higher than the expectation here. So we are looking at 22.00 these 8.18 uh, a year ago it was expected at 13.08 so we are seeing significant increase in the government's yeah. requirement to borrow more money from strangers or anybody that would like to lend it at the moment to meet the current uh, requirement to, to to match liabilities in so, the budget. I mean, just putting this in context of the last couple of months, the, the trust debacle, the quarting debacle, when we are financing costs in the UK, surged above 4%, knocking on the door of 5% as well. This is why <coughs> the figures you're showing, this is why the government was in such a flap or the markets were in such a flap, plus the LDI concerns about what the pension funds were or were not holding in terms of gilts as well, which yeah. is why the emphasis now from Sunak uh, and Hunt, his Chancellor of the Exchequer, Mr Hunt, Yes. Um, very important that they got the uh, finances back on track, or at least the confidence back on track in the guilt market. Yeah, so, so it's a record level of borrowing at £22 billion in November. The interesting question is, um, what does it mean for markets, if anything? Because oh. obviously there's an impact as far as the guilt market is concerned and how concerned investors in the guilt market need to be about pressure on the government to continue to borrow more, what that means for yields, but also there's the issue of public spending and ultimately is this money that goes into the economy and does that have an impact on inflation, does it have an impact on spending and growth? Do you want to unlock the should box? We, I was going to say, should we do it? Should right. we unpeel number 21 on, on the advent calendar? Who so is it? Who Mike, is it? Michael Howell is oh, with there us, he is. Uh, the CEO of Cross Border Capital. Michael, good morning. Thank good morning, you so gentlemen. much for coming in this morning to the studio. Um, I know that we, we chatted about this before the numbers came out, so I know that you're not that fixated on these public uh, sector borrowing numbers, but obviously you're very interested in uh, flows of money and uh, what the stock of money looks like. Do these numbers have any significance, do you think, in terms of what I've talked about, how the government refunds these borrowing requirements, what it means for the cost of funding for the UK, and ultimately whether this is inflationary when we see these big spikes in government borrowing? Yes, they're, in, in a word, they're hugely important. I mean, what we've got to look at is the, is the longer-term trend here, how, how much funding, not just in the UK, but worldwide, is deteriorating. Demographics are ageing, tax revenues are shrinking, uh, commitments, mandatory spending commitments are going up the whole time. 
And you know, we're fixated by the inflation problem right now. We're going to be fixated in two or three years' time about fiscal uh, problems, in other words, this funding issue. Mm. And what we saw in the UK gilt market uh, in September, the debacle, as you call it then, was clearly about bad presentation. But the problem is that every other country really faces exactly the same problems. Uh, the UK may be the, the cleanest shirt in the laundry in many cases here. Mm. And what we've got is central banks beginning to start thinking about this problem seriously. And look at the, look at the US. They've got a serious problem with the liquidity in the treasury market. The Japanese have got a big problem with the liquidity of the JGB market. Many people would view what was done in Japan two days ago as a monetary tightening. I don't think it was a monetary tightening at all. You could actually even argue it was an easing. Yes. What they're trying to do is to make the cash market, the JGB market, more liquid. And this is the problem all these countries have got. They basically have to try and create liquidity in these markets. So what you're seeing in America right now is the Federal Reserve is talking tough on interest rates. Absolutely no question. They may well keep rates up higher for longer. But look at the amount of liquidity that the Federal Reserve is putting in the system. In the last six weeks, they've thrown in $150 billion, right? This is not a central bank that is taking liquidity out. It's a central bank that's thinking of putting liquidity in. Why are they doing that? Because of dis potential dislocations in the Treasury market. The Treasury markets make every central banker and every policymaker wake up. You cannot have problems in the sovereign debt markets. Michael, so many interesting things that you've just said in that single answer. Let, let, let me just back up a little bit here. The point that you make about, there'll be a lot of people who have listened to the negativity on the UK accounts for months and said, well, this, this economy is, is, is a slow motion train wreck happening. But you say the cleanest shirt in a dirty laundry. Is that because the debt to GDP ratio for the UK is actually one of the best in the OECD? Ultimately, we are only just joining the 100% club, it would seem, while there are many other countries that are already in that place. Yes, it's, it's partly the fact that in terms of debt GDP, the UK doesn't look that bad. But it's also in terms of the interest bill. Um, if you look at mandatory spending in the UK, so Social Security, health, etc., you strip out tax revenues and you look at how much the interest bill on the debt is covered, in the UK it looks actually remarkably good, uh, particularly under the, the, the changes that Hunt, Chancellor Hunt put in. Start comparing that around the world. How can they cover their interest bill? There are very few countries that cover their interest bill. America it, is about 80% coverage, not 100%. So America has to borrow to pay its interest, okay, right now. That ratio is, or that figure is 80%. Go out three or four years, according to the Congressional Budget Office, it goes right down to 30%. So the arithmetic, the maths here, gets to get, starts to get seriously bad. So the safety that many people have found in the bond market, or say they're finding now in the bond market at the short end, that still seems a good place to put it, but it's the middle to longer end where actually people should be very, very concerned. Well, very concerned, I think, is maybe overregging it, but I think you've got to have some concerns about it. And the issue is that everybody is piling into government bonds because I think logically in a recession, government bonds should do well. But the problem is, is there's a huge amount of funding to do against the backdrop where this is going to be a wonkish comment. Term premia in the bond markets are hugely negative. And it doesn't, that would suggest you're not going to get great returns out of bonds uh, at this stage of the cycle. Okay. Okay? Corporate debt may be a different question. Now, that, that's exactly where I'm going. Let, let's move on to get towards the, the place where a lot of our viewers want your advice, and that's the equity market. And, of course, the, the, the bridge between the two is the corporate bond market. I asked the question a couple of days ago. I'll ask you exactly the same question. 
In fact, I think it was yesterday I asked it. Why aren't we seeing the stresses in the corporate bond market that one might expect to see at this stage of the cycle, given the fact that yields have picked up quite aggressively, right. but we haven't seen the delinquencies that would that would perhaps be more typical at this kind of level. Uh, and a lot of companies seem quite happily refinancing at the moment. I'm just wondering when the, the shoe drops or if the, the, there's going to be another leg on this. Yeah, they, they, it's possible there's another leg for sure, okay? But if you look at a lot of corporations around the world, particularly high-grade companies, they're actually in pretty decent shape. Balance sheets are good. So far, revenues seem to be holding up and they can access borrowing from the banks. And if you go back to 2008, remember the bank's financing tap turned off very quickly. And that was where the, there was the real problem. So this time the corporate debt markets are actually, I think, in a reasonably good shape. So that's an area that I would suggest is not a bad area for 2023. Now, if you draw a comparison, and a good com this is probably a decent comparison, look at 2001. In 2001, the Federal Reserve began to ease early in the year. Now, I suspect that's where we're traveling in 2023. The Fed is going to start to pivot, use that terrible word. It may pivot in liquidity before it pivots in interest rates. So just, I was going to say, what does pivot mean on interest rates? Because it's been Well, in interest rates, I think they're going to hold rates up for longer than people suspect. And I think that is the remit. But in terms of liquidity, they'll start to push liquidity back into the system. In fact, I'd argue they're already starting to do that, right? Okay. Uh, now, in that situation, it's not dissimilar from 2001. And in 2001, stocks were poor through the year. They range traded, but they generally went down. Okay? The economy didn't turn until the end of 2001. So, so let's say December 2003 is a pretty decent time for the economy to pick up. The corporate debt market picked up prior to that around about Q2, Q3 of 2001. Equity markets, I say, it was much more a 2002 event. The bond markets did pretty much not, the government bond markets, did pretty much nothing through the year. They probably delivered maybe a, a, a decent mid-single-figure return. Where you want to be positioned next year is good quality corporate debt and gold. When you talk about liquidity, just help us understand what you're focused on here, because um, there's been this to and fro between the market and the central banks, where the market's disbelieved how far the central banks are going to go. And that's that's kept financial conditions relatively easy. Mm -hmm. But you get the sense that it's put the fear of God into a lot of the non-bank financial sector that was creating money, it seemed, mm -hmm. by being willing to take collateral and then effectively yep. mirror what you would see in fractal banking. The banks have been much more conservative, it seems, all the way through. They mm -hmm. learnt their lesson from 2008. So where does this additional liquidity come from at this time? Because surely anybody that's sitting in the PE industry who's um, purveying their exit strategy or thinking about the leverage loans they're sitting on right. that they use to buy businesses is not in, interested at this point in doing any more of that business at this stage. So where, where is the liquidity being generated? Well, where, where will it be generated is, number one, central banks. Central banks will come back. Now, you could argue that... But, but Christine Lagarde didn't sound like someone in a hurry to come back. I mean, no, they, but I think they've the, all been talking incredibly hawkish and tough. Do you think they're, they're talking through their hats? Well, I think they, that's the sort of message they, they would say. They're not going to say they're going to ease. Um, they're going to basically talk tough. But the key thing is to look at what happens on liquidity. And liquidity will start to turn. Now, the Eurozone may be one of the last to do that. I, I, I will come quietly on that. 
but you've got to look at the Federal Reserve and you've got to look at the People's Bank of China. Uh, the People's Bank of China is already putting in more liquidity than they've done in 18 months. Okay? This is a clear turnaround. China needs to boost the economy, and the People's Bank is the way to do that. The Federal Reserve is adding liquidity. Okay? You've got oil prices which are below $80 a barrel. That will release liquidity back into the system. The dollar is down almost 10% from its peak. That will boost the FX swap market, which is a key area of shadow banking. So all these things are beginning to pick up. Liquidity is at its, its maximum tightness right now. Okay? Looking into 2023, it's going to improve, but that does not mean a green light for equities yet. Ah, and that, again, um, not green light equities yet. We've talked previously about the, the blithe ignorance of the market to the history uh, and the earnings recession, which it's refusing to price in. That was a while ago. Markets come off since we last spoke, actually. And, and I'll just do the figures so far for the month for our viewers as well. The s and is down 6.3% for the month. Uh, the DAX uh, for the month is down 3.6%. One or two more I'll throw out randomly. NASDAQ down 8% for the month. Uh, FTSE down 2.7%. Is the market anywhere nearer, well, it is obviously nearer pricing in an earnings recession, but anywhere nearer the bottom of that uh, expectation so that then we can have a sustainable rebound? Well, I'll give you my, my, my view. My view is that the S&P has to test 3,500. Right. It may probably bottom out below that, say 3,200. But that's the sort of figure that I would think. I would think. Now, that may take uh, 12 months to get there. So I think it's going to be a range-bound market, uh, but it's going to be moving down. And where you want to be positioned is in defensive stocks, uh, because that's what's going to outperform uh, in the next 12 well, months. Just, just one more for me, because Jeff's got plenty more as well. Is, it, I, I looked at Nike yesterday, and I thought... Wow, here's a company that is absolutely bestriding the world. And, and one thing I liked and I thought was fascinating is, and I, you look at the margins on these OEMs and a lot of these companies as well, they had margin pressure yesterday due to the strong dollar logistics. They lost 300 points of gross margins. Their margin was still 42.9%. Yeah. I mean, it's a salivating margin for many, many industries. Mm. No wonder Nike rallied 13%. And so the point is, bottom up, there's always going to be some amazing performances. Yeah, yeah. You can always find decent companies, for yeah. sure. Uh, so for our viewers then, you, you can't look top down there. If you want broad-based equity inclines over the next 12 months, you've got to go the other way around. You've got to go bottom up or not. Well, I think you always have to look top down. But I think within that top down view, if you have to buy equities, you want the quality names. I mean, as always. Uh, but, you know, once liquidity starts to move in with, with more energy, I mean, we're at dis the inflection point now. But once central banks get the bit between their teeth and start pushing in liquidity, then you can start go wholesale back into equities. And maybe the private equity question is the one to start thinking about because private equity in the US must be under huge pressure. And we would suspect that given the dominance of that industry in America, you're going to start to see a lot of pressure being put on the federal authorities to start to ease liquidity in some way. Not necessarily cutting rates, but making liquidity easier to get. And you go back to the old budget rule, okay? Mm. Lend freely against good collateral or high rate of interest. And that's what all these central banks have got to start doing. What's really interesting is, uh, is that the, um, uh, the, 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 the big houses, their forecasts largely have us somewhere between 7.5% to 10% higher for the S&P next year. And it seems to me a lot of those um, forecasters have kind of penciled this in with their hands over their eyes and hoping <laughs> that this is what we get. And the range is something like 3,800 to 4,200 for the S&P. Right. You're to the lower end of that, clearly. Yeah. But you listen to someone like John Hussman, mm. who thinks that there's still 50 to 60% at least further downside for the S&P to unwind a lot of the 08-related excess 
that was thrown in by the central banks here. His argument that this year looks very much like the first year in the 30s or the first year in the 80s or the first year in the 2000s when we had significant market pullbacks and you had a somewhere between a 10 to 20 percent decline in the first year and people thought it's safe to go back in the water Mm -hmm. but in fact what happened is you match that again in the subsequent year and you were down quite a lot more than we are at the moment. Why is that scenario wrong in your opinion? Why are we not going to go through a repeat of uh, recession to depression? Yeah well I think the the answer would be he would be correct in the situation if you had debt deflation okay that's when you get big sell-offs in, in stock markets, when the banking system is compromised. Uh, we have not got debt deflation right now. We've got inflation. Okay? This is a way of actually eroding debt. So it's rather the opposite situation. The financial system is actually in pretty good health. Where you have the problems, ironically, is in the sovereign debt markets. There's no liquidity in these things. And that's because liquidity has been stripped out by the central banks in their tightening. Okay, it's very difficult to engage a QT, right? This is the lesson we're learning. You can do QE very easily, but you can't do QT. It's very, very hard. And this is what's the fact the central banks are facing up to. Now, looking ahead, I still think that there's good opportunity in equities medium term. Uh, because there's a great deal of savings in the world and ultimately central banks are going to have to come back into the system to bail out the sovereign debt markets in the future because of these big funding problems. And so, you know, QE is never going to go away. It's here permanently. And you've got to invest with the background that central banks are always there. And that, this is the, the change in the regime. So a bit of, bit of corporate debt, bit of gold maybe, Correct. bit of commodity, some emerging. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right. Michael, it's been a real pleasure. So nice to have you in the studio as well. Very good. Good to be here. Uh, Michael Howell, CEO of Cross Border Capital. Yeah, thanks for coming in, Michael. Right, okay, um, let us move on. Uh, So coming up on the show, straight from the front line to the White House, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky says on his way to Washington. Uh, we'll have the latest on his visit well, after the break. He's on his way to Washington. I don't think he said anything, know, but at least the media reports have said that he is on his way to Washington. Well, that's what I my see. read was trying to say. I, I know. I know. <laughs> and for more on markets as we head to 2023, uh, be sure to subscribe to the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Australia's Foreign Minister Penny Wong is in Beijing this week for talks with her Chinese counterparts. Uh, Australia is hoping to make progress on ending trade sanctions and men strained diplomatic relations. President Xi Jinping was quoted in state media as saying China will work with Australia to promote healthy, stable ties and a comprehensive strategic partnership. 
A section of a gas pipeline in western Russia has exploded, killing three people, according to local authorities. Gazprom says the blast at the Europe-bound pipeline has not impacted export supplies and that flows will continue through parallel pipelines. While Russian gas exports to Europe have declined substantially since the invasion of Ukraine, the explosion raises concerns about the remaining flows amid the continent's ongoing energy crisis. Ukrainian President Vladimir Vladimir Zelensky is on his way to Washington, D.C. to meet with President Biden. It is President Zelensky's first known trip outside of Ukraine since the Russian invasion last February. Zelensky is also expected to appear before a joint session of Congress and meet with U.S. national security officials. There's a lot of um, extrapolation I'm seeing already about this visit as well. if we have one original thought, one thought each, I think it's all about shoring up the Western support at a very difficult time uh, for the alliance as well. There is, yep. It's a very cold winter, very expensive winter here in Europe as well. He's going to his most erstwhile ally to just make sure that support is still there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very interesting that it was Nancy Pelosi that I think who broke cover on this initially sending out a message to her colleagues that there was something special coming up in the uh, proceedings and um, signalling, in effect, that Vlad, uh, uh, Zelensky w- would be heading uh, to the United States. Um, I-, I think the fact that he's been to Bakhmut before going to the United States also sends a very powerful message because that town is being fought over in a vicious yeah. way constantly. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.